0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 171. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is sponsored by squarespace.com. To try out Squarespace for free, go over to squarespace.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout to get 10% off of your service. At the end of this episode, we'll be speaking with Christine Breton of La Faber about her experience with the service. Now, as far as where in the world am I? Today, I am in Michigan. I'm spending this week here in Michigan selling my car, going through some old things that I had put in boxes before I left, like clothes donating things that no longer feel like things I need to save for wherever I do end up eventually one day, and tying up even more loose ends than ever in whatever was left of the things that I had back in the States. I still have no idea where I will end up or when I will know whether that will be in the States or abroad, but I am listening to my intuition, which just keeps telling me to leave everything I know behind and just keep going. And now we have another interview for the show. So I know we went away from interviews for most of this summer, They were just literally not flowing. But as I've been going in the most recent weeks, things have been flowing to me that are interview related. So I know some people are totally in love with the solo shows and are getting so much out of them. And other people have written me saying, hey, Jess, love the solo shows, but also would like some of those interviews back into the mix as well. So As I am going with the flow and just seeing what feels most comfortable and right in the moment, some new interviews are popping up, so stay tuned for that, and we have this one today with someone I've been very excited to have on the show for a long time, and also I'm so grateful it's happening now because it is such a wonderful addition to things we've been talking about this summer. Today we're speaking with Gabby Bernstein of GabbyBernstein.com. Many of you guys may know Gabby as a spiritual teacher, New York Times bestselling author, and she's just someone I know I at least have been admiring for several years in terms of her personal approach to life and business and so much more. So some people are familiar with her and others she may be brand new to. If you're just getting started with her work, obviously her books are fantastic. I think she's written five at this point, including her newest one, which we're going to be talking about today. And in addition, she has a wonderful YouTube channel called GabbyB.TV, which is a great resource if you're looking for ways to shift your mindset. And especially if you're someone who is intrigued by A Course in Miracles or is someone who's familiar with it or wants to check it out. Gabby has studied that text for several, several years, and I think her teachings now are much broader than just A Course in Miracles, for sure. But if you're interested in getting to know a little bit more about that text, she is a perfect person to go learn from. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about her newest book, The Universe Has Your Back, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a perfect complement to all of the work we've been talking about over this summer. It's basically about how to get past your fears as they pop up in your life and back into love or alignment as I've been sharing and talking about it over the past several months. So as we talk about flow and going upstream or floating and all of those things, the forcing or the floating and not flow, those are typically dictated by fear. So Gabby's whole book is basically how to get out of those things and get back into love or alignment as I call it. In this episode, we're going to go into a lot of different tangents, including her own personal journey. And we go into aspects of her personal journey. I've never heard her share on interviews before. She's also going to talk about how she's overcome the most challenging year of her life, which was actually this year in 2016 and late 2015. In addition, we'll be talking about ways you can begin to handle your own fears and get back into love more quickly to find that alignment and flow in a more regular and, like I said, just kind of a quicker way to get back into
1: it. Let's go to the show.
0: Gabby, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me, honey. So good to be here.
0: You have been a guest I have been looking forward to having on for quite a while as I've been on my own journey personally. I'm so excited to introduce you to those listeners who may be new to you and also to those who are familiar. Let's start with
1: your background. How would you get to where you are? I've been on a path of personal growth and development, I think, my whole life. <laughs> Ultimately, I was running a business when I was first graduated college, a PR business when I was 21 to 25. And running that business, I burnt out really, really fast. I was like living a very fast-paced life. I was deeply embedded in the New York City party scene and really looking for my happiness in all the wrong places. And by the time I was 25 years old, I hit a very big bottom. I had a spiritual bottom, an emotional bottom, and a drug and alcohol bottom. And so I looked at my life and I knew that there had to be a better way.
0: Here's a question. So what was that bottom like? Was it one moment? Was there some situation that came up that you decided was the bottom or how did that
1: happen? There was a spiritual and emotional bottom for sure, but I don't know that I would have recognized it or identified it if I hadn't become addicted to drugs. So I was suffering with cocaine addiction and alcoholism. And so, you know, the, the sort of the blessing of being an alcoholic or a drug addict is that you have this like big bottom. <laughs> and so you can maybe potentially find your way out faster. Cause sometimes if it's just something that's on a psychological level, but it's not manifesting in a physical form where you could, you know, where it's in some cases life or death, you may not find your way out as quickly. And so for me, it it was at that point where it was, you know, could have been a life or death situation. And so I looked at my life over and over and I continued to hit my knees daily and surrender and surrender some more and and continued to see that the experiences that I was having were were not the person I was here to be. And it was actually October 2nd of 2005, which uh, we're coming up on my 11 years now of sober recovery. On October 2nd of 2005, I got clean And I made that commitment because I was willing to see something else. The magic words, I'm willing to see this differently. There has to be a better way. And being in that spiritual conversation, whether I realized it or not at the time of saying there has to be a better way, I hit my knees and surrendered. And that was the day that I found my way to a recovery meeting and made the commitment to get sober. And on that path of sober recovery, I became very, very deeply committed to my spiritual practices and self-help and becoming a self-proclaimed spirit junkie. So, so I redirected the focus from the party scene in the nightlife to finding my happiness from a source within.
0: So what do you think was driving that direction to get to alcohol and cocaine in the first place?
1: At the time I didn't know Jess. this is a pretty profound question because at the time i didn't actually know why I became an addict. I was like, "Why you know I, you know it, it, I had a seemingly pretty decent upbringing and you know looked at my life and I had had some great successes at a young age, and I looked at it more like, "Oh, I just have an addictive personality, but I didn't understand where the Need to become to be so severely addicted to drugs and alcohol, and addicted to not just drugs and alcohol, but work addiction and love addiction and food addiction. It was just sort of all over the map, and I could equate a little bit of it to my upbringing, but I wasn't really clear. And in this last year, when I was writing this book, I had the year of my life. And I started to fall apart in many ways and crumble.
0: In this last year.
1: Yeah. So I hit another bottom in 2015 when I was writing the book and then into the beginning of 16. That's how you open the book, right? With the yoga. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought that I'd had all this recovery under my belt and I thought that I had a lot of the answers. But in the first two months of 16, I hit the biggest bottom of my life, way bigger than the drugs and the alcohol. And I had pretty much like had a breakdown in that breakdown, I remembered my childhood trauma. I had a full blown memory of traumatic events from when I was six years old. And so that aha moment, while it was the most terrifying moment of my life, was also this moment of that's why I used, that's why I was addicted to work. That's why I was addicted to drugs. That's why I was addicted to alcohol. That's why I was addicted to love. This is why I had all the answers right in front of me. I found the core wound and it's been a very difficult experience healing that trauma but it has been a resurrection as a result of knowing cuz living with trauma and not knowing that it's there is one of the most terrifying things so you basically had amnesia so when a child experiences trauma often if especially if it's under the age of 7 your brain literally tucks it away like it literally shuts it off and and it's very common for people with childhood trauma to have be triggered as adults to remember. This is something I knew nothing about until it was my story. Thankfully, I had a friend that had happened to, and and I knew who to call when it went down. And thankfully, I had the right therapist and, and all these different trauma specialists at my fingertips because of the nature of the work that I do. But it's a big commitment in my life now moving forward to be a voice for trauma because it's something that people l- live with undiagnosed. They don't know that it's there or people that do remember or recall or you know, knowing don't have the tools or the, or the wherewithal to get through it. And so uh, there's definitely a book in this for me coming through. But the trauma memory didn't come until I had already submitted The Universe Has Your Back. So I wrote this book, The Universe Has Your Back, while I was cracking and slowly remembering trauma. So in many ways, the book healed me because I had to keep returning to the book and writing about love and writing about my spiritual connection. And so each day that I would hit the computer and return to the content, I was actually almost self-soothing. It was a very interesting process. It was the most difficult, most terrifying year of my life, but I'm very, very happy to say that I'm coming out of it. Why do you think it happened this year? Well, there's a great answer. Um, one of the ways that I managed my trauma uh, was to be in control and to, keep, to, to try to stay in control of everything. And in 15, my husband retired from his big job in private equity to come run my business and work with me. We were working on trying to have a child. And so all these things that, you know, this concept of control was whipped out from underneath me. The idea of being a mother, being the primary breadwinner, having my husband leave a big job to come run my business, all this stuff that I was you know, so tightly, neatly packed up in a box was just ripped out from underneath me. So when my coping mechanism was taken away from me, that's when the trauma returned.
0: Can you go into why that would be when it would start?
1: I can only speak for myself because I haven't, I think many people have different stories. I mean, some people can remember trauma just based on you know, a scent or a smell or or a sexual encounter or something that triggers them. And for me, the big trigger was the fact that my coping mechanism, which was to be in control, was taken away. And when that was no longer there, that was when the trauma started to come in.
0: Oh, man. With that in mind, let's go into those, like you said, self-soothing techniques that you mentioned through the book. So as I pulled some of the thoughts that you've shared, and I want to go more in depth in some of them and share those points so that listeners can benefit from them. And I know you're a teacher of The Course in Miracles, and one of the things you mentioned is the presence of fear is a sure sign that you're trusting your own strength that comes from The Course in Miracles. And I have a question for you with that. How can people trust this in their lives when there's so much out there teaching otherwise, right? if you listen to so many podcasts and read so many personal growth books, maybe not spiritual books, but there's so much out there about taking control of your own ship and being the master of your destiny. So how can people look at that and reconcile what they've been hearing from so many other sources with this truth?
1: So the concept of like the difference between trying to make something happen and, and allowing it to happen, is that kind of the question? Is that the root of the question?
0: Yes. The Course of Miracles says the presence of fear is a sure sign you're trusting your own strength, which is what so many people say out there to do. You need to be in control. Don't just let life happen to you. Decide what you want to happen in your life. That kind of stuff. And that's kind of the opposite of what this is.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's it kind of goes hand in hand. There's the story that you can have the opportunity to be in the conscious co-creation of your life by choosing the thoughts that you want to see, by being an energy that you want to give off, by expressing more joy and more and attention towards what it is that you want to call and cultivate but at the same time, you have to be surrendered about it. The practice of co-creating your life doesn't necessarily come from pushing and controlling and making something happen. It comes from a place of believing and, and knowing and wanting to see what it is that you desire, but at the same time, letting it go. And taking action from a surrendered place is how we truly manifest our desires into form. And when we take action from a surrendered place, that surrendered energy gives off a a very, very different vibe and it allows what is of the highest good to come in for you. So sometimes you may be thinking, I need to have, you know, this job in this exact way or this house in this exact way, but there's potentially a plan far greater than your own. And so when you're surrendered and you, and you carry that desire with an energy of surrender, something far greater can even come through.
0: And I know you struggle with this with your path to conceive. So how did you achieve that surrendered state in something so important to you?
1: So, this is actually one of my favorite chapters in the book, which is that if you think you've surrendered, surrender some more. And it's a chapter all on spiritual surrender. So, ultimately, what the book is sharing is like the story, which you just said, which is this, the story in the book, which I don't want to give it all away so they can go read it, but, but about my, the year I spent trying to conceive and what came up for me and, you know, the guilt and the shame and the silent sadness that women don't talk about. And in that experience, in that process, I, had hit my knees again. This was sort of one of the many bottoms amongst that big bottom. And I channeled this beautiful chapter called, If You Think You Surrendered, Surrender Some More. And like I said earlier, the book has been a healing device for me. So this chapter healed my deep, deep wound around trying to conceive because I wrote this chapter for myself. And in the chapter, I share the spiritual steps to surrender. I practiced these steps for many, many months. And in the practicing of these steps, what I came to at the end was a recognition that I had to learn how to mother myself before I could be a mother.
0: That's good. So how did you learn to do that?
1: The first step is to take your hands off the wheel. So you know, we're trying to control outcomes. We're trying to make things happen. We're trying to play God. And whenever we're in that way, we're ultimately getting in the way when we're in that kind of forceful nature, we're in the way. And so one of the things that came to me when I hit my bottom or hit my knees with this issue was that my plans were in the way of God's plans or the universe's plans. And so I had to take my hands off the wheel. And I did that through prayer. So daily prayer, every day, thank you universe for taking this from me and showing me what is the highest good for all. And being in that prayer gave me a new energy and a new intention. So rather than trying to focus on what what wasn't working, I was focusing on solutions. And then the next step was to turn over time and really honor the wound, right? So rather than looking at all the things that I didn't have, I started focusing on what was thriving in my life. So rather than thinking, oh, all my friends have babies and I don't have a child yet, I started looking at the fact that, you know, I have this amazing husband and he's the most divine man in the world. And I've got this family that I've created with him and this business that we're creating with each other. And then we've got this book baby that's coming out into the world. And so it was just giving like a lot of love and a lot of light towards that kind of conversation and getting my energy back into what was thriving rather than what was lacking. And that began to be the second step in spiritual surrender. And I'm going to save the rest of the steps so you can go read the book.
0: And also, let's look at it. Your 6-year-old self needed mothering. Mm-hmm. So you said that you had at this moment this child reemerged in your life essentially, and it's a great chance for you to give her that 6-year-old version of you that healing that she needed or that mothering before having your own.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. So let's talk about another idea that I am all about. This has been what I've been sharing on the show in many ways in different forms. You said energy flows where your attention goes. Can you explain that more?
1: Yes. Yeah, so wherever you are focusing your attention, your thoughts, your actions, your belief systems is where you're bringing your energy. And so your energy is, is ultimately what is creating. There's a chapter in the book called Vibes Speak Louder Than Words. And so when we're in the vibe of like low level lack, not good enough, fear, insecurity, uncertainty, we're ultimately blocking a lot of what it is that we wanna create in the world. When we're in a high vibe state, when we're in an energy of, of love and joy and commitment to to leaning into that joy every single day, that's when we start to see that energy begin to support the desires and the intentions and the movements that we're creating in the world. So becoming conscious of how your thoughts and your actions are affecting your energy and seeing how that energy is creating your reality.
0: Yeah, I actually have a story for this. It actually happened this week. I have noticed as I've been traveling and living out of Airbnbs for the last five months that especially in the last month, I find it fascinating because you see pretty pictures online, but you don't really know what you're getting into exactly what the area is going to be like and different things like how thin the walls are, (laughs) things that are different in every flat. So what I've learned and recognized and started to pay attention to is whatever energy I'm in when I'm booking the Airbnb or I'm about to go into it has often a huge impact on whether I will enjoy the actual experience of being in that flat. And I was actually in a kind of a weird energy place at the time of booking a flat in London for this last four or five days that I'm here before going back to the States. And the place itself has, literally there's jackhammers in the lower level of it from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. And there's also construction scaffolding next door.
1: So Oh God, that sounds terrible.
0: Terrible. And so I was like, I can't record this interview with you today there and I was like, where else am I gonna find a quiet place to talk? This is why I stay in Airbnbs on my own in part because of the quietness for recording. So as I'm sitting there dealing with the sound thing, I actually don't even like the vibe of the place. The energy of the place itself isn't my jam either. So I just try to not, you know, get into it too much and just keep going with the situation as best I can. Then I get banging on the door the next morning.
1: Oh, God.
0: The, the water in the toilet is running into the lower level where they're tearing out the basement. Now I'm sitting there around for plumbers and this is just going from like kind of annoying to much worse. <laughs> so anyways, long story short, the guy of the Airbnb refunds me the money and I take that money and i put it towards a nicer place it's in an area i actually like that has a beautiful design and decor that wasn't available back when i booked the first time and here i am at a beautiful place and all along through that journey my energy and attention actually got better than when i originally booked and i wasn't thinking every time and every moment this is terrible i can't be here i was just trying to make the best of it you know taking a shower and the toilets flooding next to me and all this stuff but it worked out and here i am in this beautiful space because my attention and my energy got better progressively, my situation literally changed with it.
1: Yeah, that's the perfect example. When you elevate your energy, what you need starts to unfold for you. But when you're in like a a low vibe negative space and you're focusing on what's not working, you're creating more of what's not working.
0: Yeah, and I kept thinking about how much I love my friend Anna's flat and she was gonna let me stay in her flat to record for this afternoon. So I wasn't gonna stay in the other flat for all of the days of the trip, the four nights but what is also super crazy weird is that I am obsessed with her flat. I sing praises. I energetically try to resonate at her flat. It's a very expensive flat (laughs) and it's really well done. It's decorated in the same color scheme in the same way as the same materials as this flat I'm sitting in right now. So literally, as I thought about her flat, I'm now basically in the equivalent of her flat, only I get to sleep here too. It's not just for the afternoon.
1: Yep. And you know what? That's always how it goes. It's like when we are very focused on what we want, when we begin to manifest that into our life, we look around and we're like, oh my God, this is the exact vision that I was holding. It begins to show up like the design of the flat is the same as the one that you love. So yeah, that's classic.
0: And actually, there's another chapter you have about obstacles being the part of the path. The toilet overflowing was the, what actually made it possible for me to get the full refund and leave. So look at that.
1: Yep. There you go. I think that that lesson of obstacles or detours in the right direction, that is exactly right. Like sometimes I'm in a, a situation right now very similarly where something came to me and it, it isn't what I wanted and it didn't happen the way that I wanted. And I was kind of looking like, oh, this didn't work out the way I wanted. But actually the reason that the sort of the obstacle, the issue that's up is actually giving me an opportunity to walk away from something, right? There's always a blessing in the obstacle and that's the choice that we have to make to see that.
0: Yes. Okay. So in the book, you also write, we are not responsible for what our eyes are seeing. We are responsible for how we perceive what we're seeing. So we're going to see everything, but we get to choose our perception of it. So I think that people are gonna understand that, that they're in control of their perception. But here's my question for you. What should they say to other people in their lives when they don't see things this way? So let's say someone has a friend that's going through a breakup and they are victimhood all day long and they're perceiving badly, or th- there's a parent that has job issues that they can't perceive in the same way I have a friend whose dad does not see things in the way that he does. So how do people handle other people that choose to not look at their perception?
1: So ultimately, we have to sort of mind our own side of the street. And this is a question I get pretty much at every single talk I give. You know, what if people are not down with what I'm doing, right? Or they don't believe in the same way? We have to be the light. We can't force these ideas on other people they may not be ready for them they may not be willing to do them and if you try to push this on somebody it won't work it just will not work so the best thing that we can do the best contribution that we can bring forth is to be the light is to be an expression of what we're applying in our own life so that we can in that connection in that expression we can offer a different vibration out to the world and so if you have a friend that's suffering and, and they're just you know, bitching about it all the time, you have a chance in any moment to just be the positive influence and the positive force in that relationship, leaning into a conversation that's more joyful and just being more positive will inspire her and give off an energy that will hopefully change them. Now, the goal isn't to change somebody else. We cannot change other people, but in our light, they will be unconsciously elevated to step into their own.
0: I actually just had a friend whose dad passed away, and I know you're a fan of Abraham Hicks as well. So I've been kind of thinking a lot about what to say. I've been very aware of my words, and I feel like the typical American response is to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. But... I'm also not recognizing that. I don't know that that's even the right phrasing of how I want to share. So do you have any <laughs> thoughts on people handling death and how to do it in a way that's really mindful but and compassionate? Do you get what I'm
1: saying here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have an interesting way of talking to people about death because I believe I know with certainty because I can connect to people who have passed, but that Though the physical form is gone, that the spiritual connection never leaves. And, you know, I can say that because I have the capacity to channel people. So I think, you know, that may or may not be, you know, what everyone believes in. But with that certainty, I can say to people that have had a family member pass that this is just the beginning of a different type of relationship and a relationship that may in many ways be far more profound than it was even in the physical form. And to trust that that family member is supporting you no matter what. So there's a lot to be said for... That may not be your response, but I think as long as your response to somebody in that type of situation is coming from a place of, of what you know to be true. So if what you know to be true is that grieving is a slow process, then that can be what you share. If what you know to be true is that having family around you during a time of, of grieving is necessary, that can be something that you share. But I think in any time that we're trying to support anyone, we should speak from a place of what we know and what is true for us, as long as it won't in any way trigger them or offend them.
0: Thank you. And what was this channel like? I want to go into that. What was that like to have that first experience?
1: Well, I think that I've been channeling probably my whole life, but for most of the time I would say that I channel when I'm speaking publicly, when I'm writing. But most recently I've been, since I've had this recent bottom, it actually cracked me open even more and thankfully gave me an even greater opportunity to hear and connect. And I've had the privilege of being able to speak to my friend's deceased parents and channeling my best friend's baby's name before she even told me what it was, you know, just having that veil be lifted and being able to connect to spirit in a different way.
0: What's it been like to experience that person? What's the physical sensation like?
1: For me, I feel like a, a sense of sort of almost like a tingling in my body, my hands go numb. When I'm actually channeling a voice of a spirit, it's sort of, you start to speak a little bit more, a little faster, and you start to hear intuitively what's coming through. It's kind of like a knowing, like, you know, I could start to speak to you in a very authoritative way, like, okay, the next thing is this, and this is what you should be doing here. And, you know, not even using the words should, but a lot of suggestions that come from a place of authority, right? And a lot of the channeling that I do comes through writing as well. So when I'm writing in my journal, I'll get a lot of messages that come through and my handwriting will change or my I'll start scribbling faster. And there's this sense that there's definitely something greater coming through that is beyond me.
0: Okay. So I think what I share is this writing exercise. I think that's maybe similar, but you're able to do this with specific people where I always just help people recognize their ego versus their intuition and to tap into that greater part of themselves that has those answers within them that is connected to source at all times. So is that maybe along those lines that you're speaking of?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the deal. All of us are mediums. We all can channel. It's just a matter of how willing we are to crack open. And the same way that someone's a piano player and maybe they're just like, you know, profound, talented piano player and I'm not as good at the the piano, we all have that kind of same way that we connect to inspiration. And so some people may, you know, there may be mediums out there that that's their profession and that's what they do and they just hear easily. And that's that's something that's come through for them. But again, I think anybody can sit down and learn how to play the piano. So I think the same for being connected to spirit. I think anyone can cultivate the presence of intuitive information. And a lot of it comes with the more you clear your own channel so that you can receive that information.
0: Yeah. And I've seen you speak and you do channel, girl, (laughs) when you go out there and you get on the stage. So I've not seen you speak for any other entities, but I can say seeing you speak, there is definitely an energetic shift that is palpable that is not, you know, from the same place that a lot of us operate day to day.
1: Yeah. And it's a privilege to be able to work in collaboration with that kind of connection. And really almost all of my books are really about helping people crack open to their potential to have that relationship of their own understanding. And that's what this new book is really about, is how do you channel the voice of love? How do you channel the voice of the energy of love? How do you channel the support of the universe? And so this is a whole journey of going on the clearing and the unlearning of fear and the remembering of love and the healing of whatever are the blocks that are in the way of that presence. And that takes commitment and it takes a desire to know more.
0: And you have many, many different techniques. I actually did one of the meditations you mentioned while I was reading the book. I just stopped it and I was like, all right, I'm going to go do the satnam Mudra one. It was fun. So the whole book is basically about, I think this kind of summarizes it. The miracle isn't how well we avoid fear. The miracle is how quickly we return to love. And I think that for the work I do with values-based intentions with my audience and my members, people kind of get into this feeling of, okay, now that I know what my values are or whatever this is, maybe it's being aligned with love in this case or whatever it is, being in alignment with their intuition, (laughs) then they want to stay in it 100% and they feel like they have the tendency to beat themselves up whenever they fall out of it. Can you go more into why that's not necessarily the thing to be focused on?
1: yeah and, and actually that that type, if someone's going through that kind of issue, this is the perfect book for them, because you know really, what I share throughout the book is like all the ways that I detour and the ways that I come back and I tell you the truth you know someone who 's been a spiritual teacher for the past eleven years, and i 'm very honest about all the ways that I turn my back on love and how I come back home and so we 're on a journey and, it, and it's the more you fall into the joy and the connection of what it means to live with a relationship, a spiritual relationship, the more you long for it, the more you respect it, the more you nourish it, the more you grow it. But of course, the worldly experiences that we have will take us out in any given moment. Another thing that happens is that sometimes when you get spiritual, things get good and then you get lazy. And then, so that's something to be mindful of, that you want to be conscious of the ways that you can start to feel disconnected because you've gotten a little bit lazy about your spiritual connection.
0: It's so true. You meditate when you're at the low and then you do it enough that you've kind of started to feel good day to day and you can get away with skipping a day or two and you don't notice it. But over a prolonged period of time, that then creates another low.
1: Oh, yeah, Absolutely.
0: All right. So you mentioned, and this is, I think, so powerful, that there's a misconception around pain having purpose. And I know this might trigger a lot of people's defenses to go up to hear that pain does not have a purpose in our lives. And I've actually had a recent listener reach out to me personally and talk about how, from their perspective, some of the biggest growth curves and like their biggest lessons and stuff has come from challenging painful things. And I've seen that in my own life, though I'm starting to question it. So can you go more into that? Why does pain not actually? Have a purpose.
1: There's one way to say that, you know, through painful experiences, we can come through and have a a transcendence, but we give pain purpose in the wrong ways. So we'll walk through life and we'll say that I have to struggle to achieve my goals or I have to go through all these difficult relationships in order to have love in my life or, you know, giving ourselves purpose to the painful moments of our life. And the only way that I would really want to reframe pain is to see it as an opportunity to move through a another threshold of who you're stepping into being. And so I see pain only as a as an opportunity to deepen our spiritual faith, not as, as a way to achieve or a way to get ahead. And so giving purpose to pain, I, I mean that in the sense of the fact that we're using that pain to sort of be a, a guidepost to how much we've accomplished or how far we can get.
0: I get it now. Now I understand it it's the kind of the idea of no pain, no gain is false. We don't have to struggle. But when you have pain in your life, like you were describing your six-year-old moment and experience, that pain, you will give it meaning in your life and how your life has reverberated since is not the same situation.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you. That really cleared that up for me. I really think that's a powerful kind of differentiator and I appreciate that. So here is one last question before we get into our final two. So what does it mean to rely on your presence instead of your words or actions?
1: Awesome. So in the book, I talk about how our presence is our greatest source of power. Many of you may know when you walk into a room and you see somebody – that just moves you, right? You just feel moved by them even before they speak. And I've had this experience recently where this—I was at an event, and then just a teacher came out, and I was just like, I was started crying just in her presence. And that, you know, that you being a channel for the universe, that you stepping aside and letting that love energy flow through you is far more powerful than any words that you could say or any credentials that you may have or anything that you can, you know, f- force onto the world. You showing up with the presence, a clear, clean powerful presence. And so, so many of the lessons in this book help you begin to cultivate that greater sense of what your presence feels like and the greater clarity of what it means to live and show up with presence. And that's what it means to to say that your presence is your power.
0: So basically focus there and let the words or actions follow from the presence. So I've been using the term alignment before action.
1: Yeah. Great. Love it. Beautiful.
0: All right. Last but not least, we've got the two last questions. So, what internal doubts or resistance are you currently going through right now?
1: You know, I mean, this thing that many of us do, it's like I've had this pretty epic pre order book launch, and everything's working, and the book's like just magnificent. And, you know, we're going to have many, many, many thousands of people have this book in their hands very soon. And these events are working perfectly. And so, there's this like, up uh, ego story of like what's going to fall apart, you know, and I just I'm just done with that. Like I just the universe has my back, and I'm over that, and I'm just I'm just trusting that this is all perfect. And that the more fun I have, the more flow I'll have.
0: So the thought comes up, and then you replace it with these other
1: thoughts. Hell yeah, that's a big message in the book. Is just you know choose again, choose again, and choose again.
0: And last but not least, what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey?
1: Strap on your seatbelt. it's going to be a great ride.
0: Gabby, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you. You're great at interviewing. This is beautiful. Thank you so much.
0: And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Gabby, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you want to send Gabby a message, you can do so over on Instagram or Twitter at Gabby Bernstein. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in a course in miracles lively. For show notes for this episode, of course, always hop over to JessLively.com slash Gabby Bernstein. And before I share where I'm going to next on the trip, let's talk with Christine Breton about her experience with today's sponsor, Squarespace.com.
2: Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Jess. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Aw, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, about two years ago, after the birth of my third son, I decided to finally pursue a passion project idea of mine that I had dreamed about for quite a while having three kids and longing for a more balanced and fulfilled lifestyle, I jumped in with both feet and I launched my company called La Faber. It's a luxury wedding invitation design company and also an Etsy shop where I sell art prints and handcrafted wedding vow prints. And pretty soon I'll be adding nursery and baby prints to the shop as well. So I'm super excited about that.
0: Where'd you get the name La Faber?
2: Well, my maiden name is Lafave, And so my husband and I were brainstorming some names one evening, and I wanted to incorporate that into my company name. And so in Latin, Faber means maker. And I, it just suited my style and uh, my product so perfectly. So that's how we came up with the name Faber.
0: So why did you choose Squarespace specifically for your website?
2: I knew about other web building platforms because I have such an extensive background in graphic design. But when I was choosing a platform for my website, I was really looking for something that would be very easy to use. Since I'm starting La Bear from scratch and in my fringe hours, I don't have a lot of time or money to spend on paying a programmer for a customized website. So I needed something that was well designed and simple to customize myself. Squarespace offered both of those key features and it's super affordable, especially with the Just Lively discount that I used. So it was a no brainer for me to go with them.
0: Did you find out about Squarespace through the show or did you know and you just capitalized on the discount code?
2: No, I found out through your awesome podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So what do you love about Squarespace the most? Oh my gosh. Okay. Where do I even begin? (laughs) Uh, I love how beautifully designed all of their templates are. Being a graphic designer, it was super important for me and it was really hard for me to pick just one template. All of their templates are so beautiful and they work seamlessly and have so many features like galleries and a built-in blog and incorporating social media is such a breeze. Adding content and updating the website and blog is super simple and I can do it all by myself. I don't have to contact a web developer to add updates or make a change to my site, which is so key when you're running a business these days. It's really important for me to be able to make changes quickly and easily. Since um, I'm constantly having to update my website and social media being a key component to promoting and advertising Nafa Bear. Squarespace makes it really easy to integrate Instagram and Pinterest with my website.
0: What would you tell anyone who's thinking about building a new website themselves?
2: One tip that I can give is to have consistent visual brand presence and a vision for your website and blog. People see so many visuals and graphics throughout the day and their attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. So we need to be able to grab their attention super quickly and efficiently. Squarespace templates are really well designed and help make your content captivating and a strong logo and great blog graphics and photos really help to grow awareness about your project and your brand.
0: Well said. So for anyone who's looking to give this a try and use the code like Christine did, EA get 10% off of your service. Here's what to do. So first, go over to squarespace.com lively and enter the code lively at checkout. Just by going to Squarespace.com slash Lively, you're going to get a free 14-day trial. And by entering the code Lively at checkout, if you want to go forward with the paid service, you get that 10% off because of that Lively code. Christine, where can people find you online?
2: You can find all the details about Lafabere at lafabere.com. So that's L-A-F-A-B-E-R-E.com. That's my French Canadian heritage coming out right there. And you can also find me on Facebook and Pinterest. And I'm always posting on Instagram at Christine Breton. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks to you, Jess. And now for a sneak peek.
0: Next week, I am going to Chicago. I'm going to be so excited to be there. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to spend my birthday there with dear friends that I love so much and just eating nachos and walking along Lakeshore. I can't wait to see all of my favorite haunts, people, and places. So until next week... May something wonderful happen to you today.